lots and lots of spoilers. Here we are at the beginning of our new series. Here we are at the middle of our series. Max, please stop playing with the remote. <laughs> Never! <laughs> We're finally I want to try, try to skip scenes. <laughs> We're finally at the end of our series. I forgot how much I hate time travel. There is no way we could not include this week's film as it is probably the most famous, most beloved time travel movie ever. That in the fact that most of the other ones we could think of stink. Back to the Future is this week's movie, and we are going to 121 gigawatt the hell out of it. DeLoreans have seatbelts, so strap down and plunk a plutonium capsule in the chamber. We are headed forward, me droogies. Take that, Dr. Spock of the planet Krypton, or is it <laughs> Captain Kirk of the Death Star? Whatever. Something like that. Yeah. On our little trip through the centuries, we have your pilot, that expert of the eons, that dancer down the decades, Max Giga Levine. That's Giga, not Jigga. I said Giga. <clears throat> yes, but before you said Jigga. Because that was referencing the film, in which case, which way they said Jigga. Yes, and I am the chimp in the co-pilot seat, the monkey wrench in all <laughs> your plans to conquer space, Mandrel Mike Luce. Ook, ook. I thought, I thought it was mongrel. This week it's mandrel. Fine. <laughs> you can still call me Fine, mongrel. you can be Barbara Mandrel. <laughs> and the Mandrel You can be a Mandrel <laughs> sister. Sing it, Maxine. That is the Flawless sister. impression of the Mandrel sisters, by the way. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, because monkeys <laughs> and time travel always go together. That, uh, yeah. <laughs> but don't touch that dial. We have the poll question to review. We asked what movie should be protected by state, federal, and ape law such that it we was must never... march into the forbidden zone. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, such that it must never be allowed to be remade, recut, or changed. You had some answers, and these, dear listeners, are they. Dave, first to the post, responded, quote, None. As long as the original is preserved with integrity, I see no reason to prohibit the full range of derivative works permissible under copyright laws. But if you are looking for movies that are perfect as they are, the list is legion. I love the old Fritz Lang stuff, Metropolis, for example, uh, or Nosferatu, which isn't Fritz Lang, but is as good a vampire movie as ever has been made, end quote. Well done, Dave. Val, the one playing my sister on TV, said, quote, protected by law, I don't think that's necessary. A film as a whole is copyright protected. <laughs> oh, I'm uh, so scared. <laughs> I, I think she may have taken that a little over literally. Well, still. Recuts could only be done by permission. <laughs> that being said, I think there should be a universal agreement between the studios to protect films like Casablanca, any film from the Golden Age, really, from remakes. The intents and the world at the time of their making are so different than what we have now, I don't think we could ever capture the past the way it was originally captured. I also prefer the old special effects over CG for the most part. Sure, the CGI looks better, but there was an art to the old stuff that I feel has been lost, end quote. Can't argue Same. with that. Yeah. I mean, I, if I did not see Casablanca in this list, I would have been really surprised. Seriously. Deweese, still scarred from his recent viewing, replied, quote, There are so many good ones, but the one that most comes to mind is the Star Wars Christmas special. Oh, Lord. It would be a travesty if Kathleen Kennedy decided to rewrite Star Wars history by producing a new Christmas special to replace the old. 
Jokes aside, I think Zemeckis actually has some kind of ban on remaking Back to the Future, which I think is great, end quote. Oh. Seems he's been peeking at my trivia notes. Thanks, Weez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Matt Reisman posits, quote, I feel like Casablanca is the obvious choice. Weirdly, I think Citizen Kane could be remade and ring true for modern audiences, but I'm going to go with, oh. with Wicker Man, because... Mostly because we're in the universe where they tried that and it should be erased from existence, end quote. I think we can all agree, not the bees. <laughs> not the bees. No, not the bees. Nick Hoffman gives us, quote, For me, it would probably have to be Lawrence of Arabia, alternatively Young Frankenstein, end quote. To which I say, indeed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you don't, it's a Mel Brooks thing, right? If you don't have Mel Brooks, really you're starting is. off with almost nothing. And if you don't have Gene Wilder, just forget it. Yeah, seriously. And we don't have either of them, so there you go. Oh, no, we still have Mel. Vince, our pal from Snow Country, posted on our website, so gets the super Bumpy Buck secret prize of the week as soon as Bumpy makes it. <clears throat> he wrote, quote, As for films that should have legal ramifications if they are remade, I am pretty conventional with my choices. Citizen Kane, 2001, and Agira, The Wrath of God, come to mind. Yeah. yeah. Mostly, oh, yeah, it's a Klaus Kinski movie, I think. Oh, sounds creepy. Uh, mostly because they are striking examples of unique filmmakers that hold up no matter how many how much time has passed. Most films I see no problem remaking over time. After all, the Maltese Falcon with Bogart was, I think, the third incarnation in film of that story, end quote. I only found one other, and it was from 1931, and it starred B.B. Daniels and Richard Cortez. You know. Uh, the Daniels-Cortez pairing. <laughs> yeah. Legendary. Yeah. Actually, now I'm kind of curious, but whatever. Yeah. Harry McCracken, newcomer, sent, quote, Willy Wonka, even though it's already too late. I've noticed that Disney has been surprisingly respectful of Snow White compared to almost everything else it owns, end quote. Give him time, Harry. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting point, but yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't let your guard down. Yeah. Lastly, Dave snuck in again with a parting shot, quote, I wouldn't touch Harold and Maude either, end quote. See our previous episode on Harold and Maude. Thank you all. We always love hearing from listeners and non-listeners alike. And how do we hear from you? Well, that's the cheese at the end of the stick now, isn't it? But for now, we'll ask Max. Max, what film what? do you think should never, ever, under a plot, be remade? Well, I would like, of course, I'm with most of the crowd on Casablanca, but that's also too late as it was remade, as we all know, into barbed wire. <laughs> I'm not yeah. kidding. They considered when it was made, they considered it a remake of Casablanca. You know, a lot of people don't realize that it was also remade into Rogue Warfare 3. <laughs> yeah. I would rather watch Rogue Warfare 3. Yeah. But what else? Uh, I got to say, most a lot of the ones uh, the, these folks came with, I would go as far as I would hate to see Star Wars A New Hope remade. Yeah. Although and, we kind of did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's true, but and not actually, completely. I really liked it. <laughs> so, uh, hmm. yeah. anything else like a, a certain favorite? Like, because there was, I know you're you're a Mel Brooks fan, so I don't think. See, the one, the main one I would hate to see them do anything to would be Blazing Saddles, right? But and this is a big thing I've seen on the internet. I don't know if you could make Blazing Saddles anymore. Yeah. I don't think you could make it today, and I don't think anyone should try to touch it. Mm. I think one of my old favorites that I really just don't think would work at all, partially because of the time and the place it was made, is The Third Man. 
which is a Carol oh. Reed film starring uh, Joseph Cotton and uh, Orson Welles shows up in it. He, a lot of people think it's an Orson Welles film, but it's not. It's, uh, it's No, you think it is. But, but it was shot in post-war Vienna. So yeah, you've which got this. You don't have look. anymore. <laughs> no, you. So you have this look, and you have this feeling, and you have this time that you can't really recreate. Never mind the circumstances, and it is such a beautifully photographed film. Gorgeous. Uh, it is. It is really amazing. And he, of course, Casablanca. I wouldn't remake. I mean, most Bogart films I wouldn't remake. I know they did remake Sabrina. I remember it being not particularly interesting. Um. That was with Harrison Ford as uh, Humphrey Bogart, and I forget who played William Holden, but whatever. You remember it? Uh, which one, Sabrina? Yeah, yeah it was. Um, who was it? Craig Kilborn? No, Joel McKay. I don't. Know, one of those. <laughs> one of those bland pretty boy talk show guys played on the William Holden part. Yeah, which is yeah. about what you want. But, it didn't work. It know. also just part of it because uh sabrina was very much a product of its time yeah. and the class roles were much more established still but also it's yeah. like oh poor harrison ford nobody wants to go out with harrison ford. oh yeah that's that, <laughs> that's believable that's believable yeah i just say if you're going to remake a film unless you're bringing something really new and fresh to the film that won't in any way impact the original just don't we we don't need <laughs> to see it we've seen it so there are some I just kind of wish they'd stop remaking. Like, you know, I don't really think we need more versions of King Kong. No, dear gods, no. Just come on. Yeah. I, leave, leave the big monkey alone. Yeah. Or, you know, quite honestly, I'm done with the mummy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't need another Dracula. We did a whole series on Dracula. <laughs> oh, boy. So, so many Draculas. Yeah. And we don't need any more. Oh, yes. Please, by all means, do not remake Twilight, whatever you do, because I know they're threatening to. Please, the United Nations War Tribunal has to step in on this. Yeah. But we have a uh, trivia question for next week. Yes. Uh, And I would like to ask, we would like to ask, I should say, what's that one film that everyone else just seems to love, but which you hate or think is Uh, meh or not worth all the hubbub, bub? We're dying to know, so won't you? But first, trivia. The show. Budget, 19 million buckaroos. Take a whopping worldwide 381 million. Likely not including toys, video games, fruit bats, and breakfast cereals. Wow. It's a shame they didn't make a sequel. Yeah, isn't it? Um, But uh, speaking of which... Since the rights to the Back to the Future films, yeah, I know, are owned by director Bob Zemeckis and writer Bob Gale, it's up to them whether or not we get sequels or remakes. And to this day, they say no. Oh, I wonder how long that lasts. Does it expire with their deaths? Well, then it's going to be owned by a trust or a, uh, you know, an estate. I I hope it doesn't expire with their deaths because I would not put it past Universal to have them killed. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You heard me. (laughs) <laughs> Tom Wilson ad-libbed his most famous lines, including, quote, be like a tree and get out of here, and quote, <laughs> and calling people butthead. By the way, if you ever want to see something just really charming and funny, go on YouTube and look for Tom Wilson Biff question song. Yep. It's it's adorable. It's just because he, he did stand up and he does a yep. song about the questions people come up and ask him. Even today, it's worth it. It's very short. It's fun. And also, you'll get answers to all those questions you want to ask and he doesn't want to answer anymore. 
Yeah. So do Tom Wilson a favor and watch his song. <laughs> uh, Ronald Reagan actually thought the reference to that actor becoming president was so funny. He not only had the scene rerun for him when he was having it pr uh, privately shown, he made reference to the movie in his State of the Union address in 1986. Go, Ronnie, I wow. guess. Yeah. Well. Well. Uh, the whole idea for this movie came from writer Bob Gale wondering if he and his dad would have been friends in high school. Hmm. Hmm. Neat. A very well-known bit of trivia is that while Michael J. Fox was always first choice for Marty McFly, it was Eric Stoltz that got in front of the camera first. When that, shall we say, didn't work out and Fox's <laughs> schedule opened up more or less, he took the part. By opening up, basically it meant, okay, I can film every day after Family Ties in the evening and on weekends, which is how they had to do it. So a lot of the, re wow. the reason, like a lot of the opening of the film takes place at night, because that's what they had. <laughs> ah, okay. Poor kid. This movie was originally banned in China as that country had a rule against something, quote, disrespecting history, end quote. Actually, okay. sounds, like, sounds like a great reaction to time travel to me. They have yeah. since lifted that ban, which means, uh-oh. Uh, dear. <laughs> Do you have a time machine? I don't know. Uh, in a huge change from the ways movies are played nowadays, this film stayed number one in the box office for three months and was wow. likely still playing after that. Yeah, remember that? Yeah, gosh, that's right. That's what movies actually stayed in the theater for more than 15 minutes. Yeah. Michael J. Fox only added the J because there was already an actor named Michael Fox who coincidentally played a part in the actual original sci-fi TV series science fiction theater. Fox's, oh. Fox's middle name is Andrew. <laughs> oh. You know, J for Andrew. It's silent. <laughs> like the P in our pool. Um, <laughs> And really, there is so much trivia about this movie, it's just going to take forever, and we have a lot to cover. Oh, yeah. Or do we? We yeah. do. Is there any, any other trivia you want to interpose here? And uh, Not really. Yeah, it's huge. They've done documentaries yeah, there's so about much. it. It's one of those films, so. Plot. Do we really have to? <laughs> I don't... Come on. I mean, maybe for somebody living under a rock. Well, okay. For Not consistency's really. sake, we'll, we'll do it. All right. Also, because I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> Marty McFly is a typical high school kid played by a 24-year-old actor. Bit of a weirdo, his best friend is local crackpot scientist Doc Emmett Brown, who not only feeds Marty's insatiable need for bigger and louder amps for his guitar, he seems to have built a time machine. He wishes to use it to go into the future and see what bright spots and new inventions there are. But the people he stole the plutonium from to make the time machine work have other ideas. They show up and disrupt the experiment and seemingly kill Doc Brown. Marty, leaping into the time machine, which happens to be shoved into a DeLorean, speeds away only to accidentally reset and activate said time machine. He ends up in 1955 without another dose of plutonium. What can he do but search out a younger Doc Brown to help him? Well, you know. While possible, this is going to take some time, so Marty decides to check out the local scene, which is the same town he grew up in and the same one in which his parents are currently going to high school. Meetups threaten his own existence, so Marty has to not only make sure his parents get together, he has to help the doc get the machine working so he can get back to where he started. It's a race for time itself as we bop till we drop Big Daddy and all that other 50s stuff. Will Marty get back? 
Will his family be a constant target for local bully Biff? And how will they explain knowing about Mr. Spock and Darth Vader decades before either is supposed to exist? And what about the sequels? Oh, oh we're out of time. The Lowdown. So, Max, you and I did you and I did not see this when it first nope. hit the theaters. We Why, did not. We were we out were of the country. Europe. Do you remember yep. all the films we did see while we were in Europe? I I made a list. Uh, I remember View to a Kill. Unfortunately, uh, yes. Baby the Last Dinosaur. Baby A Secret of the Lost Legend, yes. Oh, excuse me, Secret of the Lost Legend, Return to Oz. Yep. There was one uh, other one. Uh, Restless Natives. Oh, I, well, I forgot that one. That was a Scottish yeah. film. Yeah. There was one uh, Witness. Oh, a Witness. That's right. I was going to say that. Yeah, I know. I was going to say Harrison Ford, but yes, Witness. <laughs> yes. We well, saw the Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I don't even remember hearing about it while no. we were there. I don't know if it was released in the summer while we were in Europe or not, but it, I don't remember hearing about it, so we didn't go see it. When we got back... I remember that being the only thing you heard about. Like yeah, everybody I knew had seen nuts. it. Yeah. Um, so I did see it in the theater. It just wasn't, it was probably like when it was still number one, three months later or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember your reaction to the film? I don't actually. I mean, it's 36 years ago or some such. It's a long time. I don't remember. I, I'm pretty sure I liked it. Yeah. But that's all I remember. Isn't that interesting? Because there's a lot of films we've talked about usually ones we don't like where yeah. we say, hey, do you remember seeing Highlander two in the theater? And we know exactly what we felt. About yeah. Highlander yeah. This 2. one, I don't know. Just didn't, I was like, yeah, that was good. I wonder if it's because it's become such an icon. And we've seen it so many times since pretty much. Yeah. I'm going to say this is one of those movies that if you're doing housework or you're wandering by the TV and it's on, you kind of watch it, even though you yeah. know every sentence of it. You just watch it. Yeah, I think so. It's comfortable. It's it's nice. It's, com it's comforting. It's part of the past. Yeah. It's nice. It is part of the warp and woof of our lives. Um, I will say the film does start with the Exposition News Channel. Tune in at five <laughs> for exactly yeah, what's happening yeah. in 20 minutes, um, which is fine. Yeah, I, I also have to say it's awfully nice that Doc... When he's showing Marty the DeLorean of the time machine, gives him very precise instructions <laughs> and how to use it if just, oh, I don't know, you end up in it. Yeah. Well, and here's something that's actually kind of fun. This was part of the trivia I didn't bother with. So part of the, the whole deal is that Marty accidentally jams his arm into the time controls. Turns out that that giant thing stuck on the armrest, whenever poor Michael J. Fox went to go shift the car, he couldn't help but bang his arm into the stupid time oh. circuit. So that's actually a real thing. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, yeah, apparently DeLorean was thrilled that his car was immortalized in this movie. And let's face it, if it hadn't be, would we still be talking about DeLoreans? Unlikely. I mean, I kept waiting for it. Going, Doc, Doc, what's all this white powder in the glove compartment? There's free cocaine in every glove compartment when you buy <laughs> DeLorean. <laughs> 80s, 80s reference. Look up John DeLorean. He was, yeah. That was a very odd car, the DeLorean. And yeah, largely forgotten, except for this movie. Right. Um, the funny part, of course, is that they never show the DeLorean being actually, you know, reliable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. I think is actually true, but there you go. I, I, I couldn't tell, couldn't say. Um, we have uh, one kind of trope that doesn't pop up often, but it does pop up here, which is... The old, my parents' teachers are still in the high school I go to trope, which is, have you ever run into that? 
In movies, not as much. On TV shows, sometimes. Well, I meant in real life. Oh, in actual real life? Uh... Well, actually, if you... Well, when I went back and applied for a job at our old high school, several of the teachers we knew were still there. Yeah, well, I guess that's fair. Yeah. Um, Hey, did you happen to notice what movie is playing in the downtown theater? (laughs) It was uh, Ronald Reagan and Barbara Stanwyck. No, no, in 1985. Oh, that was the Cattle What's Queen it? of Montana, or I don't know what it was. Yeah. Uh, orgy American style. <laughs> you know, that famous triple X featured sure. orgy American style. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Based on the yeah. TV show, I, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> um, we, I mean, there's, there's so much about this film. Uh, yeah. And it's, 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 there's actually been, it's been called the, the perfect screenplay. And in some really? ways, it, yeah, in some ways it kind of is. It keeps you invested. Its timing is really good. Even the parts that don't make sense, we're going to get to those. Yep. You kind of gloss over And Max and I have talked about this before. Even if you've got a story that's not as good as it could be, or maybe a couple of characters that are a little iffy, if you tell the story well enough, people won't care. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Although there are parts of it still that bother me. There are some holes here and there. Such as, please, by all means. <clears throat> Well, let's see. The biggie for me is they need the 1.21 gigawatts, not gigawatts, gigawatts, to power the DeLorean. And the whole, a major plot point is they know that lightning is going to hit the clock tower in the center of town at exactly 10.04, or at, excuse me, at 10.04. They don't know when at 10.04. That's a 60-second range, and they have to hit the thing at exactly the right time. Right. That's a huge margin of error, and there's no way they could have known. No. Uh, One thing I would impress upon this, and this is totally a fan-after-the-fact theory kind of thing, um, and I saw this especially in Stephen King's book, 112263, which I do recommend, is that the universe doesn't want time to be changed. It wants time to remain the same and it will resist efforts not to. Since Marty has already gone back and screwed things up, basically the universe wants him to get back so it can get back where it's supposed to be. That being said, there's a couple of things that actually delay both him and Doc Brown at the end, which are obviously just for tension. Like, will he make it, will he not? But if you wanted to apply that fan-driven theory, it actually fits very well. Now, there is no evidence for this in the movie at all, or the script, but you could do that if you felt you wanted to. I have to say, one of the things I noticed is the aging makeup (laughs) they use on Leah Thompson is terrible. Kind of. And it really stands out because Crispin Glover, and I think this is just because of his face, it is really easy to make him look older or younger, I think, just by the way they part his hair. Because mm. if you look at Crispin Glover, he doesn't look that different than he did th- today than he did 30 years ago. No. And it's funny because whenever they do old age, ma- old age makeup on people and then you have like 30 years after that Star Trek episode or something to see what the actors would actually look like and they never get it right. And it always, almost always aging makeup just does not work. And you'd yeah. always actually be better off getting different people to play the parts. Yeah, but some, but it, I've seen it work better than others. And on her, the, in her in particular, it stood out because it was so bad. Well, luckily it gets better in the sequel. Oh, wait, no, no, it not doesn't. Not really. 
No. Yeah. Um, I'd like to point out, uh, talk about the characters here real quick. Oh, let's talk about the acting because we usually like okay. to talk about the acting. Michael yeah. J. Fox, have, have you seen any of the clips of Eric Stoltz? No, I never have. I bet you're not sure I because can't. if you had, you probably would have forgotten yeah. them. <laughs> I can't picture Eric Stoltz as Marty McFly. I mean, yeah, apparently he's a method mm. actor. He drove oh, people boy. nuts on the on the set. And quite honestly, apparently, once he was let go, uh, there was a huge sigh of relief. Um, uh, apparently, like during the scenes where he's fighting with Biff, he was really fighting with Tom Wilson to the point that Tom uh, Wilson almost got a broken collarbone. And so, yikes! Yeah. Um, he refused to be called anything but Marty while he was on, you know, that whole thing. Oh, Lord. Yeah. So I, I don't know Eric Stoltz from anything. Apparently his big part was in a film called Mask. I'm guessing he played the kid with Yeah, the... he did. He did a good job in it. He's done good stuff. I just, he doesn't work as Marty McFly. No. I mean, this is one of those roles I literally can't think of anybody else who could have played it. Yeah, he nails it. Yeah. I think just about everyone does. The one exception, I think, is the girl who plays his girlfriend, Jennifer. Yes, is adequate. She's fine, but she's the one she has. And I think she is the only character I can say this. She has no personality. No. Although there's her nothing. hair. <laughs> yeah, this is. there's a lot that is very 80s about Ooh. this movie. I mean, her hair, which I think at this point takes up more volume than her body. Did you notice who plays her hair? I, I did not. I think the hair was uncredited. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, maybe Chaka. Yeah, but I couldn't. I couldn't tell you who played her, or Claudia, yeah. something. Yeah, I it? don't know. It was. It was. Yeah, a, she. It was a thankless part. Let's face it. She had almost. Yeah, she has do. nothing to do. Yeah. But she also didn't bring much to it. Even like the the kid who plays young Goldie Wilson, the mayor, yeah. the future mayor. He has like three lines, but immediately you know who he is and yep. you like him. That's one of the things I really admire. And it's not just the it is the actors and the screenplay. It this movie is really good at establishing the characters right away. Yeah, you know who they are instantly. I yeah. mean, in, the, in like forty five seconds on screen, you know exactly. Yeah, Biff is a is a loudmouth bully. You know that uh, George is, is this poor, you know, pathetic schlub. Yeah. The thing I find interesting because I never really looked at Marty. I know Marty is supposed to be you know, kind of a loser. But if you look at him, he actually isn't. He has a best friend, which is questionable in taste, but he plays guitar really well and he's in a band. Like, that's the thing you want to be doing in high school. Yeah, and he's he, yeah, he's a hotshot skateboarder in the 80s, which yeah. basically, you know, made you royalty. And, and apparently Michael J. Fox skateboarded all through high school, so for most of the oh, stuff, okay. he did it himself. Yeah. Um, it's his dad. It's his family. Because he doesn't get picked on that we see in high school, except no. for by, by Mr. What's-his-name, Mr. Strickland. Yeah. Um, you know, he's a slacker, whatever that means, you know, in this case. What did that mean in 85? Yeah. Whatever. Um, Christopher Lloyd is just a joy, because Christopher oh, Lloyd Oh, he's just... so much fun. His entrance is one of the best things <laughs> in the movie. Just the way he appears with the, the back, back of the truck going down and stepping out with that crazy hair and the lab coat. I mean, his, he is iconic in this. His eyes should have gotten separate credit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't even mind the fact that, and they even point this out, he doesn't look any different in 1955 than he does in 85. There was a couple of that, close-ups where you could see some wrinkles, but you had to get real close. You really had to look because I think Christopher Lloyd has looked like he was 50 years old since he was 14. Yeah, could be. I mean, Reverend Jim did not look young either. No, hell, John Big Boutte didn't look young. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I, the acting in this is, you know, Tom Wilson, whom, as far as movies goes, I don't think did much of anything past this. He was a stand-up, he and he's actually very funny as a stand-up, um, the little I've been able to see. Um, yeah. He does a great job as Biff, you know. Uh, I, Crispin Glover, quite honestly, he nails it. He is that weird, especially as the dad, he is that weird, awkward, makes you feel uncomfortable around him kind of character, which may or may not be more. Well, um, yeah, he is very, he just trubs off, oh, look, you're so soft and wet. <laughs> moist, I think is the word moist, you're looking He's very for. moist. But this is, I have to say, and this is saying something, is one of the least creepy roles I've seen Crispin Glover in. Yeah. Because, you know, and make of this what you will, pretty much Crispin Glover is creepy in everything. I think Charlie's Angels was one of the creepiest he was in. That was pretty creepy, but I mean, the, he did the remake of Willard, for God's sake. Oh, I'm glad they, oh, we should have added that to our list. Yeah, um, yeah. But looking at the characters again was kind of interesting. So Marty was not the loser. He's just somebody who's oh. lacking in confidence, which I'm guessing he gets from his family, which everybody yeah. seems to lack in confidence in. Um, it was Doc Brown that I started looking at and going, wait a minute. Okay, so first thing we see Doc Brown do is experiment on a dog. Yeah. Okay. We'll <laughs> let that go because he, he the dog gets through, but okay. Later, yeah. we know full well that Doc Brown will, in fact, break and enter and bribe a cop. Because <laughs> you don't and see it. it's that You see it a little better in the second film, but when the, when the cop comes around and says, you know, what are you doing? Oh, oh, other experiment. And he's like, do you have a, a yeah, permit a for permit? this? Oh, I've got it here. He just opens his wallet and you can see yeah. if you look in the background, he is just fanning his wallet at the cop. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, you have to you wonder a little about Doc. And, you know, he spent all his, his, apparently his family had a lot of money. He spent it all trying to come up with his time machine. He and he's, as he points out, I finally invented something that works. Yeah. He's been trying that for 30 years. He hadn't come up with anything? Yikes. Well, here's the big question. Now, does he have to spend that money? My guess is he doesn't. Yeah, maybe he doesn't. He's spent like a week working on his own functioning machine. I I don't know. And now we'll, we'll get to the time travel. Yeah, we got to get to the time travel. But uh, we, yeah, have a, uh, we have a first appearance here. I don't know if you caught it or not. Yeah. Uh, partially because he literally has no lines. But uh, this is Billy Zane's first film. Yes, that's right. Isn't he one of the other, one of Biff's cronies? Yes. Yeah. He's actually the good-looking one. Who's Okay. I think his name is that Match, is. but I don't remember why. I don't think he yeah, but he has no line, so you can't no. tell. No. Yeah. Yep. I got to say by the way, the high school is remarkably progressive for 1955 in that they hired a black band to play at the uh, Enchantment Under the Sea Ball, or Fish <laughs> yeah. Under the Sea Dance, or whatever yeah. it was called. Yeah. The Fish Under the Sea, I think is... <laughs> yeah, that, it, you know, and it was nice to have some actual black actors. I mean, we do see Goldie Wilson, and we know he does become mayor, which is nice, but otherwise, um, Hill Valley I mean, the, is, um, shall we say, in the middle of Whitesburg. <laughs> very, very white, yeah. And... Okay, it's a. I, I still like the joke, even if it is a little heavy-handed. The fact that the lead singer is Marvin Berry and turns out to be Chuck Berry's cousin. Yeah, it's me, your cousin, Marvin. Marvin Berry, and yeah. I wait for him to look at the audience and go, "You get it?" <laughs> it was a little heavy-handed, yeah. <laughs> but it's cute, and it's. It, it sort of reminds you of that book Anubis Gates. Well, wait a sec. If Chuck Berry got the idea. 
for the song Johnny Be Good from getting it from Marty McFly, and Marty McFly learned it from Chuck Berry, who actually created the song. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Why did it take him books. three years to release it? Because Johnny Be Good didn't come out until 1958. Um, he was perfecting it. Also, because if you remember, the, he comes in in the middle, and it's right before Marty starts doing wacky crap with his guitar. Oh, that's and true. Like, it took him uh, a while to extrapolate the rest of it. All right, that's fair. Or, ah. let's face it, uh, it doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, yeah. And there's a few things like that. So, for example, Marty leaves in the middle of the night. He leaves at 1.30 a.m., and when yeah. he arrives in Hill Valley, the sun's coming up. Yeah. Well, he's time traveling. My guess was, okay, we have time to shoot in the weekend. Okay, we have shine, time to shoot literally <laughs> in dawn before poor Michael J. Fox has to go home and get some sleep. Ah, you're stuck with it. Um, you know, I didn't worry about some of the details before you know, we did this series and such, but even when he's sitting in the diner and they're doing all the jokes about give me a Pepsi free or right. uh, give me a tab, it's like, of course, he's you know, ordering anachronisms. I'm sitting there going, what is he going to pay with? Well, he has because I and I I actually went and looked this up. Okay, if he used a quarter or a dime, he'd be in trouble because his money came from 1985. They st which is when they they weren't making quarters or dimes out of silver anymore. They didn't stop doing that until '64. But they might not have looked. No, they might not have looked too close. And if he if the coffee was a nickel, if he just gave him a nickel, that would probably be undetectable. The quarter would have been fine. The dime, I can't remember when they changed the heads on them. Uh, 1947 was oh. when they brought out the um, they, the Roosevelt dime. Okay. And the dimes were also silver until Well, everything was until 64. Yeah. I think yeah. if he played with change, he was okay. The paper yeah. money would have been a problem. They would look a little funny because the dates are pretty obvious. But, of course, it's a moot point because he runs out without paying. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I want to know, why does Marty need the Doc's address? Oh, because he doesn't know where the Doc lives currently. Obviously, the Doc had to sell his house. The Doc's garage, we see when he comes out of the garage in the opening of the story, it's yeah. just the garage left, and he sold the land behind the house. Oh, oh. But the, the oh, address is the that. same. And I was like, so one of the big things is, like, he has to tear it out of a phone book, and he has to keep asking, where's where's this Riverside? Where is this? Like, you know, the place you go every day. Ah, uh, okay. So I didn't understand that. Um, let's uh, let's drag one of the big elephants in the room into the okay. light. The photo, the photo makes um, absolutely no that's, sense. That's I, I thought we. You want to hold off on that till we talk about the time travel because that actually well it ties into a bunch of stuff. It does, but irrespective of that, the photo okay. just does not make any sense. No, it really doesn't because the whole idea is as events diverge from the from how they were before in the present uh, whatever yeah the cat there it's a photo of Marty. you remember everyone knows there's a photo of marty and his two siblings and his old the oldest sibling starts to fade away a piece at a time in the photo why is it a piece at a time <laughs> because if marty is successful right now his brother will be born without a head it's like, come on, man. Either you exist or you don't exist. Well, either the photo ends up being a probability detector, which makes no <sighs> sense, right? Because it's None. like, oh, you have less of a chance of this actually happening. Oh, less of it. Like, it, it does, And especially the end, Marty doesn't have a piece disappear. He just starts to fade away from the photo yeah. and then in front of yeah. everybody. Somehow they don't notice whatever. Yeah, that part that's, again, I understand why they did it narratively, yeah. but it makes no sense at all. Yeah. Um, I also love how... As soon as um, 
the the parents in 1955 at the Fish Under the Sea dance, Lorraine <laughs> and uh, McFly there have a kiss. Then Marty's okay. I hate to tell him, that's not how babies are made. <laughs> it was 1985. No one knew that. <laughs> yeah, sure. If you kiss somebody, you make Michael J. Fox. That's how. That's how. It <laughs> Every works. time you kiss someone, Michael J. Fox gets his wings. <laughs> um, we get one of your favorite. I love to hate this stupid details in this film. Spoiler, if you haven't seen this film, the hell with you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we get a magic bulletproof vest. The kind oh, of vest God. where not only do you not take any bruises or lose any blood, you're perfectly fine. You haven't had all your ribs shattered. None yeah. of your your lungs haven't collapsed. Nope. Ugh. Yes, yeah, it's like, oh, I'm fine. Look, the bullets are these perfect circles flattened neatly against the bulletproof vest. Yes, that is annoying. We'll get to. The, I also want to bring back to that in the time travel because I wondered, was he wearing it the first time? We're gonna have to guess. No. Well, <laughs> when he was well, shot, there's no blood. Right, but well, we we see a hand. The hand, but we see his body in a white coat. If he had been shot to pieces like that, there'd be blood. But he he gets knocked down fast enough that he's not on screen long enough to tell. But we will get to the time. We're, yeah, we're very yeah. soon to get to the time travel. But yeah, one thing yeah. I just want to point out is that the nicest part of this movie is that the entire story is based on a mother's love for her son. Uh, <laughs> that is, so, I got to admit, that is one of the most, the creepiest and most uncomfortable aspects of this movie. It's the fact that Marty's mom, when she's 17, falls in love with Marty. Yeah. And Leah Thompson, this is where she really shines. She does this so well. Yeah. Because it's sort of, there are all these little underplays that I kept forgetting about. Like she's, her father, Marty's grandpa, hits Marty with a car, which is supposed to be his father, but he pushes him out of the way. And he wakes up in bed and he's like, where are my pants? Yeah. And I love her line, over there on my hope chest. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Well, and she keeps calling him Calvin Klein because she thinks that's his name because it's on his underwear, which means she yeah. has been staring at, at his, his underwear <laughs> rather thoroughly. Yes. Yeah. And she, and it, it, the, of course, the whole irony is that in 80, 1985, the first appearance of her, Marty's mom seems to be a real prude and is, disapproves of girls asking boys out or going after them. And turns out that, you know, Marty's mom's kind of a skank. <laughs> I don't know about that. I just think that she knows what she wants. I actually find her yeah. refreshing. It's just her object of affection makes us as upset as Marty is. Because at one point she grabs his thigh. Like the yeah. last thing I think anybody really wants to see is their mom grabbing their own thigh. Because that's yeah. just... There is also a certain amount, he is very clearly not interested. No. And 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 she ignores that. Right. You know, and it's 55. Was this likely a a personality type that was allowed in 55? No. That being said, I actually find Lorraine fairly refreshing in 55. She's like, no, I drink. What? It's like, what are you, my mom? You know, it's like, oh, I'm going (laughs) to smoke too. The funny thing is, is that when we see Lorraine take a cigarette, there's this thing. You can always tell somebody who smokes and somebody who doesn't. And she does not. (laughs) She does not. She's never held. Yeah. She had never held a cigarette before that movie. I would be willing to put money on that. No. Um. Do you want to get to the time travel? Because we also want to do kind of a wrap-up today of the series yeah, of time true. travel. I want to get to one other technical sure. thing. How did he hook up a 1985 camcorder to a 1955 TV? Uh, you actually can make an adapter to do that. Really? Yes. Okay, I figured the dock might have whipped up something, but I don't know how. The only input is the antenna. 
and that's what you have to do. Uh, okay. You have to tune it to it. Well, here's the problem is it used to be way back when you would have like a video game system or something else you wanted to show on your TV. And there was a button on yeah. the back that said channel three or channel four, because right. in any given market, one of those is not used. IVCR had one of those. Right. So you would have to be able to do that. Now, to be fair, did back in 85, did video cameras still have that? I don't know. Let's put it this way. You and I would pick up on that. Most other yeah. people would not care. Yeah, um, the other yeah. problem, of course, is that the resolution of the screen must have been awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have but it in I, I, I also, I love the line, no wonder your president's an actor. He's got to look good on television. That's not really funny anymore. No. No, it's, although some of them don't. <laughs> yeah, but it's such a thing. People yeah. talk about one of the reasons Kennedy became president was during one of the debates with Nixon. Nixon looked terrible on TV and Kennedy looked amazing. What? You mean doughy and sweating? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't uh, didn't apparently matter in 68, but whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, so shall we get to our questions? And Yeah, let's, let's go on with the questions. All right, so uh, these are the, the first ones are the ones we've asked about all of these films. Uh, is this a good use of time travel? Well, it's the center of the narrative, so sure. Well, I think that the the point here is that it's a mistaken use of time travel. Yeah, right? it's an accident. Right. It's not a, there's no intention. Yeah. Doc Brown is supposed to go into the future and look at stuff. I don't know if that's a good idea. Uh, my yeah. feeling as we've looked at this is no, but it does work for the narrative very well. What bothers me a little bit about that is, now maybe he changed his mind, but one of the the major tension points with him and Marty in 1955 is Marty wants to warn him that he's going to get killed by the Libyans. Right. And Doc is like, no, you can't give me any knowledge of the future. It could rend you know, reality apart. It's a terrible idea. And what does he want to do? I want to go 30 years in the future and see what's <laughs> going to happen and come back. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, he well, obviously he changed his mind because, you know, he says, well, what about rend you know, he, he act you know, Marty writes him a letter. Right saying, you know, please take precautions, and he tears it up and obviously taped it back together and took precautions, and his justification, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah, nice, nice. Okay. Good one, science boy. Did time travel make for a cohesive plot? Just think of this if film. He, Don't think of the sequels. Okay. In this film, yes, I think it did. It, uh, it did, and it's a lot of fun, let's face it. Um going back and seeing your parents and how awkward they were. We, um, <laughs> I wouldn't have worked for me cause my parents did not go to high school anywhere near each other. Yeah. Whatever. Um, going back in time and trying not to get caught. That's the fun part. It's like, he never like stands out to anybody really, you know, not for the reasons you would think like he's acting in a 1985 kind of way. And it's like, what are you talking about? He, he instantly starts dressing in the local clothes and slicking his hair down and whatever. So, but Although it, pe people don't know what to make of his down vest. They keep thinking right. it's a life jacket. Right. All the things that look totally normal to us don't make any sense yep. back then. Yep. Uh, does time travel make sense as depicted in this story? Uh, so why do you, why uh, do you creak? <laughs> uh, because, oh boy, this ties very much into two other movies we've watched. One is Looper. Mm -hmm. And the other is X-Men Days of Future Past. It's Looper because what he does in the past instantly is affecting the future. That, the the, the uh, picture fading out. Right. 
And the other problem is when he goes back to the future, when he goes back to 1985, everything has changed. The timeline has changed, but he has no memory of it, just like Wolverine in Days of Future Past. Right. Which is really awkward because, like, how is he going to get through high school now? He's never, he doesn't know any history. Well, to be again, fair- assuming, well, th- okay, yes. As far as we see, the only history that's been affected is his family's. Right. Which is really, really unlikely. If you go to any kind, if you go with the butterfly theory or anything like that, <laughs> the changes he made would have had massive ripple effects, would have changed a great deal. Are you saying and that, they that ignore we that completely? Kutchner syndrome? <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. Yes. Which which only you can prevent Kutchner syndrome. Please give generously. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I don't think it does. Uh, we also see, I, I know the next question is, does this deal with paradox? It, Kinda, because he, Marty comes back too early and he is existing in two places at once. Well, also, he almost becomes his own dad. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Um he does thankfully he doesn't even think to not, to not have to meet himself which is good. He just sits there and watches. Yeah. Um I think what if you're going to look at this to make it make sense you have to say that what Marty ends up doing is creating and existing in a separate timeline because technically as soon as he gets hit with a car he should no longer exist. Yeah. Because that's what caused them to meet and if they are not going to meet because of that thing you don't get a chance to make it up right it's like time it doesn't work that way no. so he must be in a already and they they kind of try to to diagram this in the second film but he should basically already be in a branch timeline because he can't possibly exist if he goes back and takes his father's place so to speak yeah yeah um and as such, he also shouldn't be able to, in fact, achieve the title of the film because he can't go back to where he came from because it no longer exists. And we actually yeah. do see evidence of that. Um, yeah, things have changed. It goes even little things like he starts at the Twin Pine Mall. It ends up being the Lone Pine Mall my because pine, he, run- my pine. He, he runs over one of the two pines. Right. It's a cute touch. I mean, again, narratively, it's fun. It's yeah. adorable. It just, it doesn't make any sense. But as you have said, the movie is good enough and the story is good enough, it doesn't ruin it. No. It's just, if we're looking at it from the perspective of time travel movies, it's problematic. Right. And that's one of the reasons that we did this series, because we had a theory. And our theory was that time travel doesn't work. So my first uh, series-wide question for you, Max, is why doesn't time travel work? (laughs) Because, well, for one thing, by virtually every scientific theory, even the weird-ass ones, the out-there quantum mechanics, many worlds, it can't work. It can't. Either you can create branching realities, but you can never... Moving from one reality to another is impossible. I think that's part of the essential nature of quantum mechanics which allows for the idea of parallel universes, but by the definition, it makes it impossible to move from one to another. Mm-hmm. And there are two... Nobody ever really f- explains the grandfather paradox. Right. No one ever... There, there doesn't seem to be a solution to that. And the, it doesn't work 
because it doesn't work. Right. I, I mean, by our science, I don't know, somebody, of course, no doubt our podcast will exist for many thousands of years, and maybe, <laughs> you know, in the future when archaeologists unearth these strange MP3 files <laughs> and listen, they will mock us because time travel is how they get to work every morning. I, uh, yeah. Well, we're hidden uh, in Al Capone's garage, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work because fundamentally it doesn't make sense. There, It just... The way it's portrayed in almost every movie is you can muck with the past or you can you can utilize knowledge from the past. Hell, even observing the past should be bad. The whole idea, of, again, from Heisenberg principle, observing something changes it. Mm. It shouldn't work. Well, okay. The next question is, how could time travel work? I got no, no I cannot answer that. I don't know. Maybe you got something. Well, my thought was if you did time travel in a way that you are not able to actually interact with it physically so that you can observe it. Now, you say by observing it, it changes it. Well, you also might say the the person or the space that you're observing, if you go back in your own self like they did with Wolverine, that character is already observing something anyway. So is it changing? Does, Don't yeah, know. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's the, the physical nature. Observing... If you believe this, and I don't know if anyone's proved it, if you observe something, you alter it. And if you observe it from a different perspective, you alter it. There are ways, people have speculated, you know, light impulses never really go away. In theory, if you could move faster than the speed of light, and you went away from the Earth, it turned around, in effect, and looked through a telescope, you could see images from the past that were still traveling through space. That's kind of time, observational time travel. I would say that it would it would have to be something where you cannot interact with the past. It's purely for knowledge or observation. And while what you're saying is true, I'm not disputing that. Discover Magazine, you know, all and all that yeah. aside, uh, I would say that if you were just using it to view something, and then the story has you use that knowledge in the present, I think that that would be a lot easier to overlook when it comes to that whole logic issue because yeah. it really just doesn't. And it really what it comes down to, I think is how well did they bamboozle us into not looking too closely at the man yeah. in the curtain. Right. Mm -hmm. And you've got films like back to the future, which bamboozles us pretty damn well. Yeah. Or um, Bill and Ted or Bill where and Ted. you just don't care. It's no. not part of the story, why it works or if it's pragmatic, it's just fun. The Time Machine, which we did not cover in this series, but we did cover in a previous series here, a previous show on The Time Machine. Um, he just goes forward. So he just goes and does he muck up the very far future? Because it's like 800 and something thousand, you know, you know, and of course, people still look like people. Sure. <laughs> yeah. um, I, you know, who knows? But it's so far flung from the his origin point that it doesn't really matter. And therefore, we're not worried about it. Time travel into the future is even more problematic because how can you travel to something that hasn't happened yet? Well, you could easily just say the only way you can travel, quote, forward in time is that it is a singular sidestep of the timeline you started in and you're now mm. stuck in it. I've also heard a theory, and I don't know if this is just somebody pulled it out of their butt or what. Yuck. But the idea of somebody said time, you can picture it like a book. We, as humans... We can look at one page at a time, and we can turn one page at a time, but in theory, a higher level intelligence could see the entire book. 
Well, and that's where we get uh, The Arrival, which was a terrific film. Yeah. Uh, a science fiction film where basically you learn, and this is actually a very well-known theory, you learn that by learning a different language, it actually alters your perception. And in this case, the alien race in question sees time as a as a whole. They see their yeah. lifetimes all they at once. They see the whole book. Right. And uh, it's actually, yeah, one of the, it's like travel does the same thing. When you actually leave your home comfortableness and you open yourself to new ideas, it yeah. actually literally changes the way your brain works. Which yeah, is it changes thing. your perceptions of the world. It changes the way you relate object A to object B. No, it does. Yeah. I, I believe that. So my last uh, series long question here is, why are we so drawn to time travel stories? And oh boy, are we. I mean, it, <laughs> there's time travel stories in every possible medium. Yeah. I mean, comic books, novels, movies, TV, cartoons, everything loves friggin' time travel. Why? Well, it's a it's an interesting fantasy. I mean, it's the idea of the obsess everyone's obsessed with what happened before and what's going to happen. And the idea that you could actually find out that you could go there and see it, that you can go and see the future and learn from it is cool and the idea that I mean, who doesn't want to go into the past and fix mistakes? Uh, I think both of us answered that question. We decided yeah. that no, and now we do not. <laughs> no, we really don't because we've actually thought about it. If you actually spend time thinking about it, you would stay as far away from time travel as possible. Yeah. Unless you could prove it like you said, the ideal time version of time travel was purely observational and then only in the past because observing the future would be really dangerous. Well, you also just might not even understand it. Um, because it is yeah. plainly obvious in almost everything that seeing one facet does not give you the gem. Like, yeah. oh, there's a murder on this plane in, in 2,253. Uh, we must stop that murder. Well, as it turns out, it wasn't a murder. It was actually somebody who was preventing blah, blah, blah. You know, there's all these yeah. ramifications and you just don't know. Um, and knee-jerk reactions rarely lead to a, a decision that we all are happy about later on. Yeah. Um, I guess it is sort of a, a wish fulfillment, I guess, you know, like, oh, I wish I could fix, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I could see this. I wish I knew what actually crashed in the desert in 1947. Cause I'm not a big UFO guy, but I kind of want to know. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was aliens. Yeah. So yeah. I guess uh, that's the uh, the whole thing with our series. We just have left this film to sort of wrap up, unless you have anything else you want to bring up about time travel. Well, I do want to point out the other part of the fantasy is history is so huge. It's so long. Even just human history, which is comparatively minute. Mm -hmm. And we occupy such a tiny, tiny piece of it. Of course we'd want to go see more of it. Yeah. I mean... We we pick we, we see it at through, you know, imperfect media through people's recollections through books that were written often by biased authors or things recorded. I, I remember uh, there's a big argument about literature as history, mm. uh, where the idea is so you can learn about a culture and a place by its literature, and and you can learn you know historical stuff. From the literature, and I remember a, a history professor arguing, saying, history to me is head of cattle and bushels of wheat. <laughs> no, that's, that's history. And an English professor, a friend of mine, said, yeah, who's reporting the number of cattle and the bushels of wheat? Somebody's writing it down. 
How do you know they're honest? How do you yeah. know they're not slipping some in? How much they're you know embezzling? It history is an we view history through the most imperfect lenses possible. It's mo- a lot of it really when you get down to it is kind of guesswork. We choose to take uh, we choose to say yeah we we believe this is an accurate account of events. We don't really know. No. So of course, wouldn't you want something that could answer absolutely? Look, I'm here. I am perceiving these things. I now know what really happened. Of course, it's attractive. Yep. So that's it. It's decided. You, me, and Bumpy are making a time machine. <laughs> yep, we are. We're gonna, but we're not using a damn DeLorean. We're gonna do something like a Bentley or a, something more comfortable. I, I would like an RV. Oh, that'd I be nice R- with a fridge and a kitchen. <laughs> yeah, bed you can stretch out on. Yeah, yeah. and a bath. And besides. What if you end up going back to some time that didn't have indoor plumbing? I want a, pl- I want a vehicle with a bathroom. Yeah, there you go. And luckily, yeah. before you leave, you can just dump it out because who's going to care? Exactly. <laughs> hey, free fertilizer. <laughs> well, we should uh, wrap up Back to the Future. Should. The Roundup. So, Max. Yeah. I, I, you don't remember how I, well you felt about it, but how do you like this film? I think it holds up. I, I, I see holes in it, or I see things in it that I didn't notice before, but I think it's still, it's just so much fun. And the, I mean, even just little things like the, the sequence at the dance, there are so many, yeah, moments yeah. Yeah. that you still, you still, I, I still get a charge out of when, you know, George shoves the ginger down onto the floor. Yeah. It kisses Lorraine and, uh, and, and when you get to see how nice Marty's future has become, yeah, it was sort of the future giving Marty a present, I guess. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Although I, I was a little curious. Okay, so they've obviously, they're much more successful. <laughs> they've got more money. They've got better cars, better clothes. Why are they still living in that crappy little house? Not only that, but why are the, uh, at least the older brother, why is he still living at home? That's another point. And why is he going to the office on Saturday? Uh, yeah, that I never, <laughs> I didn't notice that before. But, yeah, I wondered about that. Except maybe, you know, well, he's that much of a hard worker. I guess. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, and how come the sister is older than everybody? Oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah. uh, hey, Wendy Jo Sperber is adorable. I like yeah. her in everything. She is what? just so... You just want to pinch her cheeks. She Wasn't is so she cute. in Bosom Buddies? Yes, she was. That's what I thought. Okay. Yep. She was Amy. She was the one who was in love with uh, uh, Peter Scolari. Yeah. I, this is... a perennial favorite again if it's on yep. tv i am more likely than not to i don't care where it is in the film i'm probably just going to continue to watch it um i had not sat and watched it beginning to end for a long time yeah. uh, i have a dvd copy which so it was actually kind of cool because on my big giant tv it actually looked like film it was kind of oh. grainy and it was like no this is how it should be i don't want yeah. anything that's prettied up and whatever um, there's, yeah, there's been, yeah, problem. I, here's the thing, I don't the want problem- Biff to shoot first. <laughs> yeah. Especially that. <laughs> um, I also just appreciate the fact that this film has suffered the trampling of decades. And after that, we're bringing up little things about it there. Who, you know, yeah. it's like, but who cares? You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a well-told it- story. I These think are it's just because, fun nits to pick at. It doesn't, yeah. yeah. It's been so analyzed and stuff. I think that's one of it. the problems. It's not the film's problem. It's just because, quite honestly, we haven't found, we may not have found a time travel film we like as well as this one since then. 
<laughs> certainly not one that works as well. Yeah, um, or is as much fun. Although I, I would argue Bill and Ted, but yeah, it's, it's such a different time travel film because it is a different type of time them. travel. Yeah, you know, it's it's all about bringing back. Sure, bringing back so, uh, Socrates <laughs> and Dave uh, Beethoven. <laughs> yeah, okay, we're gonna we're gonna pass yeah. the history exam, but uh, we have that uh, tro troll question. That troll question we'd like to go over, <laughs> answer it, and become a troll. Now, yep. our poll question uh, this week, which you can answer in the numerous ways offered, such as direct email, extra bumpy bucks if you do that. That is us at MaxMikeMovies.com, which of course implies and is in fact true that we have a website, MaxMikeMovies.com, which has all of our episodes, which is 160 plus strong. You can go to social media if that's what you do. That would be as us at MaxMikeMovies on Facebook or on Twitter. We may be branching. No, we're not going to branch out. We are not doing the TikTok, period. No TikTok. Oh, we're nope. not going to do the dances and stuff. No, Aww. no TikTok. No. Hey, if thousands of our followers demand it. Yeah. Well, but if you that like uh, podcast apps, we're on it because they we yep. don't even ask. They just put us on the podcast app of your choice. Yep. But we want you to use one of those methods, no texting, to uh, <laughs> let us know the answer to... Text him. Text him. Max's number is... <laughs> <laughs> what's that one film that everyone else just seems to love and you just hate? Or you just think is, eh, I don't see what all the big deal's about. Let us know in one of those ways. But... Next week, we have a new film and a new series, Max. Yes. Would you be so kind as to tell us what our new series is and what the film is we're going to be watching first? We are doing a new series about films that are adapted from television shows called I Made From TV Love You. <laughs> and the first one we are doing is, of course, The Addams Family. Oh, The Addams Family. Wait. Did that suck, or was it good? I don't remember. You'll have to find out. Tune in <gasps> next week. The same channel? This very same channel. This very same time. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. <laughs>